I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! Bargain hunt badge kissing, Balotelli to Barnsley, the glorious spectacle of goalkeepers taking penalties, and should you ever say the word spot kick out loud? Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Access to The Athletic is just £1 a week. Get all our great content on the app and listen to podcasts like this ad-free. Go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 44 of the Clichés pod. Uh, Today we are talking all about penalties and the paranoia that goes around them. There's plenty to talk about with that. Um, Before that, let me introduce my guest back again, Charlie Eccleshare. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Um, reveal to us, if you can, I mean, I, I'm hoping that none of the goalkeepers in the Camden Sunday League Division 1 are listening with their iPads in hand, but reveal to us your penalty technique of choice. <laughs> I, was actually, I was thinking about this, actually. I think I've taken two penalties, both in shootouts, and have a 50% record. I think on both of them, I went, I'm right-footed, I went keeper's right. Um, that, to me, feels like the safe penalty if you're not... High or low? I'm thinking Shearer 98 sort of vintage. So one of them, I really surprised, the one I scored, I went a lot higher than I'd intended. And it was a really good penalty, right. slightly by accident. Yeah. And then the second went a bit lower and the keeper tipped it onto the bar in oh. in, in, in a shootout. It was also like the decisive, I was the seventh taker, He's the keeper saved it and they went and scored. Yeah, wow. so it was, the, it was actually the worst of all worlds because not only did I miss it, but I was also a coward for not going in the first five. <laughs> it wasn't one where I could say like, yeah, look, I missed, but I fronted up. Didn't front up and had my penalty saved. But the other one I scored, God. so. From hero to villain. Uh, alongside you, we have Katie Wyatt, the women's football correspondent for The Athletic. Welcome. Debut. Yeah. Good to have you. Oh, thank you for having me on. Tell me about the best penalty you've ever seen. Seen or I was hoping you wouldn't ask me the best penalty I've ever taken because I just hit. You'd and... include that. Technically, you've seen it, so that counts. Well, yeah, I just hit and hope, really, but I've never missed one. But I am very much the kind that sort of stands at the end of the line and hope other people go ahead of me and I don't <laughs> have any pressure on me. But when I have had to take them, there's just been no technique at all and just hit and hope straight down the middle and it's gone in type thing. Um, if you want to hear my story of penalty woe, um, we have to go all the way back to 1995. It was the year eight um five-a-side tournament at school and uh, got to the final, uh, 8P versus 8K. Um, and uh, we drew the final. And for some bizarre reason, the, the penalty shootout went straight to sudden death, which is the first disgrace. And um, the other team had an England schoolboy international up first. So Ben Suri, he stuck it top corner. Then I had to step up. I hit both posts. And then cried, um, pushed, <laughs> pushed my teacher away, and then um, was bullied about it for the next two or three months. So, Sorry, did you, did you say Adam it went straight to sudden death? Straight to sudden death. 
What? Inexplicably. Inexplicably straight to sudden death. I didn't know that. It's like, oh, let's get this out of the way. It's annoying. Annoying. I've never never heard that as a Yeah, so, you know, FIFA unsanctioned so it doesn't count <laughs> so uh, perhaps perhaps I shouldn't worry about it too much but um, yeah we're going to be talking about penalties today but as always we have some important matters for the adjudication panel to take care of Katie uh, hot on the heels of someone performing Luca Tony's goal celebration on Pointless we had a- astonishing scenes on Bargain Hunt on BBC One when someone kissed the Bargain Hunt badge on their shirt after they won, and just to be clear, they didn't win with any sort of profit. They were the team who had lost the least amount of money. So this was the the most the least spectacular circumstances. And he kissed the badge on Bargain Hunt. What do you make of this? This is this is absurd. I mean, first of all, it's very accidental partridge, and anything that is accidental partridge is just a win in my book. Um, <laughs> but I sort of find it, in a way, strangely refreshing because you know how when you watch Bullseye and. He's like, oh, do you mm. want to go and play for the big prize? And they're like, oh, we've had a nice day out, but we're not going any further. And I feel <laughs> that Bargain Hunt's very placid in that way, that people are like, oh, yeah, we lost, but we had a nice time at the car boot sale type thing. So to see someone taking it that seriously, <laughs> I was very, I was in a weird way quite down for that. I was thinking, though, like, technically, it's quite an odd. He kisses the Bargain Hunt badge, but they're both, yeah, both teams I was are kind thinking of... That, yeah. So I was thinking, should he not kiss the kind of red or blue element of him? Because that's what separate... It was would be like the equivalent of a footballer kissing the football or rather kissing than the yeah, shirt. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, the Premier exactly. League, Premier League yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we can get very technical with this. I mean, because I mean, when it comes to the history of the badge on Bargain Hunt. <laughs> Katie. I mean, there was the original badge in 2001, of course, which was a very amateur effort. But then, of course, I guess they didn't know how long they were going to be broadcasting. Uh, it changed a few years later and they brought the new one in in 2009. But <laughs> as far as I can see, the old one is still on the shirt. So there's they're having an absolute shambles. He's kissing the old badge. I guess we're next going to see him popping up in the background on Antiques Roadshow, cupping his ear <laughs> to the crowd as they boo him. Or maybe he'll one day appear on Flog It and then it'll just look like one big betrayal to Bargain Hunt. Where do we go next? Do we go for kids kissing the school badge on results day? Would that be better or worse? <laughs> I would, yeah, that would be a nice twist on, on you know, kids just jumping in the air on, on GCSE results day. Um, but yeah, kiss, kiss the school badge. That would be nice. Charlie, absurd transfer rumour territory smack bang in the middle of November when there simply are no transfers happening. Uh, it's the prospect, well... Not really the prospect, but the inquiry from Barnsley for Mario Balotelli. Mm. Absurd. Yeah. I mean, I think we'd all love to see it, wouldn't we? But it does sound... Although I guess in the week of the Wrexham takeover, that would have seemed kind of similarly fanciful at one point. Um, I mean, yes, I would love to see Mario Balotelli at Barnsley. And I I mean, is there is there a precedent? I was trying to think of that kind of 90s period where... You had like Thomas Brolin and players like that um, mm. coming to the Premier League, but to go to a to, to a club of Barnsley's, Barnsley's stature, that would be pretty extraordinary. I was going to um, say, yeah. is it fairly similar to because I'm a Bradford fan and have a season ticket, and then you would have these mm. moments where you have a player that is clearly far too good for the league and the team, almost gracing the division for a year. So like Joe Cole at Coventry, for instance, or. I was on mm-hmm. a checker trade show for a game and Charlie Adam inexplicably was playing for Stokes under-23s and to be fair for him was <laughs> comfortably the best player on the pitch. Um, but I don't know if there's any sort of historical precedent in, in that vein. I wonder if uh, Balotelli might be the most um, 
exotic signing for Barnsley since the days of Georgi Christoph, and which mm. a story I'm obliged to tell at this point. Um, he was a Macedonian international striker, Charlie, who turned up in Barnsley in the mid to late 1990s. But um, all he's known for are the following quotes about Barnsley's nightlife. He says, I'm finding it difficult to find a girlfriend in Barnsley or indeed settle into a decent way of life. The local girls are far uglier than the ones back in Belgrade or Skopje, where I come from. Uh, our women are much prettier. Besides, they don't drink as much beer as the Barnsley girls, which is something I don't like at all. A, a dreadful episode. But um, of course, they went and sought the opinions of some Barnsley um, <laughs> uh, women and they weren't they weren't amused. Melanie Dixon, 20, said the problem lay with him, not them. I think it is a disgusting thing to say, and he wants to get a life. I would tell himself to get a life if I saw him. There must be something wrong with him if he is pulling people down. Quite right. But then Sarah Scully went on to say, it is not on. There are pretty women in Barnsley. He is sad. He wants to get a life. I would give him a good slap, and there are some ugly women, but it's not right to be saying it. <laughs> Wasn't this, this is around the time of the Newcastle dogs comment as well from uh, one of the co-owners I think um, mm. so it was not not a great time for kind of sexist men and Barnsley at that time that was their season in the Premier League wasn't it the Neil Redfern um, mm. that that magical 97-98 campaign and I do remember <laughs> um, them signing him and it being quite exciting you know mm. it seeming like that was uh, I mean I'm sure exciting only to like match readers like myself I don't think the kind of wider footballing world was particularly bothered but yeah I don't think he did much I can't remember him ever scoring for them or or I mean that that as you say that is very much his legacy unfortunately Casey can you sell Barnsley to Balotelli uh, well I, I mean I can I'm sort of a massive proponent of anything Yorkshire and have <laughs> despaired every time when I used to work at the Telegraph I went into the office and someone would usually Luke Edwards say something about my accent quite type thing so I think that there is a lot about Yorkshire that you could you could sell to people. When you said about him that they consulted the women of Barnsley, I thought you meant that they were going around like with the striker and with a photo of him being like, do you think he's ugly in sort of the perfect <laughs> revenge mode? No, that, that sounds like something the Athletic probably could do in 2020 <laughs> is uh, revisit that and take him around Barnsley. I'm, I'm happy to put my hand up and... and that one. <laughs> That'd uh, be amazing. We are here to talk about um, the art of the penalty kick. Um, there is There is so much in the psychology and peripheral culture that goes with this, Charlie. But first of all, this, this season, in terms of penalties, just feels absolutely absurd. We are up to 0.53 penalties per game in the Premier League. And now, we're not going to get into the nuts and bolts of why this is happening. We all know the handball rule is absurd and all that sort of thing. But fundamentally, that's too many penalties. It's ruining the spectacle of penalties. Yeah, and I also think penalties behind closed doors are really strange because like I, I was at the Spurs Chelsea League Cup shootout mm. and they all kept going in and it, it I think it went sudden death or it was around it was 5-4 or something like that and I, I do remember after the first year I was like I'm not sure anyone's ever gonna miss here because you mm. take away the, the crowd and that sort of pressure and you're just like here are world-class footballers with world-class techniques mm. they're just pinging it into the, the the, the corners yeah. uh, and so th that coupled with the more penalties I think is is taking away A it should feel fairly rare and it mm -hmm. should feel like a proportional punishment given you're giving someone a free shot and it should feel pressured because there should be you know thousands of fans on your back and without all that it's just uh, what's happening to the to the penalty well exactly because Katie 
Penalties are a, a perfectly formed, self-contained little bit of drama. I quite like the design of them. I don't think anything needs to be really tweaked. You know, during a regular game, I think it's quite a, it's quite a nice little set piece to have. But if you have too many of them, just like eating too many sweets, the whole thing just gets a little bit too... It's just a bit too much. So Stu James wrote in The Athletic recently. He said he proposed the idea that... that because we're seeing so many penalties, they shouldn't count towards the golden boot anymore. They're not, they don't count as much as, as proper goals. They're just, they're padding out people's statistics. What do you think? I quite like that. I was reading Chew's piece this morning, actually. I quite like the Les Ferdinand resolving to never take a penalty because he wanted his statistics to be the purest pure. kind of goal yeah. <laughs> Like, what's, what's, yeah, like the apocrypha and the, the pure um, penalty stats. But mm. yeah, I quite like that. And I can certainly see the attraction with it because I think with penalties they're certainly an art form and it's like Charlie was saying that when you take out the variables of the crowd chanting at people and stuff like that I wonder if almost the penalties are becoming even more in the attacker's favour because it was already Mm. what 70 odd percent conversion rate type thing Mm -hmm. so I can certainly see it certainly tests very different skills to positioning or how you hit the ball or your runs in behind or whatever other qualities we favour in strikers so I can absolutely see the attraction of of uh, having your like pure stats as it were if I'm the best pure out and out striker but at the same time I don't think I would have been as altruistic as that if I was a, if I was a <laughs> Premier League um, golden boot candidate a goal is a goal as, as far as I'm concerned um, uh, Charlie I mean I, I'm I'm I want to kind of speculate what happened if we went just went in completely the other direction and started treating penalties with the respect that they deserve. As I say, a goal is a goal. But perhaps we should start commentating on penalties like they are goals. I, I, would, I quite like the idea of sort of a commentator saying, Chance here! And then sort of, <laughs> <laughs> as, as Kane sort of steps up. It falls to Kane! <laughs> <laughs> Um, is this his moment? I have to say, and this was probably said by someone like Alan Shearer with a clear vested interest, but I think, you know, it's not as if penalties are a gimme. I mean, yes, they are a, clearly a very good opportunity. But but before behind closed doors times, you know, when we talk about those variables, I, I don't think it's, it's, an, it's not a guarantee. You know, there are plenty of penalties you watch and you're thinking... I mean, maybe this is just betraying my own mentality, but I'm like, God, I would not want to be taking this penalty. Like this, you know, this is a real pressure mm. moment. So uh, yeah, I don't think they're totally. So so I think I I think they should be included in the golden boot. But it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, F- Ferdinand was essentially a precursor to the kind of uh, data community because they all talk about obviously all XG and stuff as non-penalty goals, isn't it? Um, mm. Because otherwise, it's or that's often how you see it anyway. So it's not skewed by skewed by pens um so it's so it's not a million miles off i guess people talking in those terms of kind of you know non-penalty golden boots but um mm. yeah I, and also having like, you know you asked at the beginning about taking them we've all had apart from katie's 100 percent record <laughs> but you and i have, have, have had uh, penalty heartbreak we know that it's katie not Letitia, a fo- yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like mark crosley the only person to have saved from katie i was gonna say i mean what's the logical when we talk about kind of expected goals and penalties and in, in discounting them because in to sort of abridge what Les Ferdinand was saying of the Batman being sort of not the purest metric for scoring goals or whatever, but is the logical extension of that to then in a golden boot race rule out goals or massive goal holds against what you perceive as weaker teams? Because I was thinking back mm. to this. In, exactly, where do you draw the line? Yeah, in the World Cup or the Women's World Cup last summer, Alex Morgan mm. and Ellen White were tying for the golden boot, but Alex Morgan got five of her goals in a 13 win over Thailand, whereas Ellen White <laughs> had them spread out over a great number of games. So therefore, 
by air measure the most kind of clinical consistent striker yeah we should discount tap-ins we should discount <laughs> any goals that go in off your ass all these things they shouldn't count uh, you know if we're going to go that down that route but uh, you know as a kind of byproduct katie of, of having seen so many penalty seasons and you know to the point where i am completely desensitized to the drama of a penalty another one of these byproducts is that we think there's a lot more scrutiny on penalty technique at the moment and uh, specifically attempted penenkas which we're seeing I don't see, I think we're seeing more of I just think they're, they're getting scrutinised more than ever and there is a there's an inherent shall we say mistrust of the penenka especially when it goes wrong mm. obviously uh, where do you stand on this I mean it, it's a viable technique is it? Yeah I really love the penenka I think I think it's all about context. I think if you're going to attempt it, particularly because the run is quite languid and the way that the ball almost hangs in the air and drops over the keeper and the keeper is invariably on the floor, sprawled out, and this ball's come through the air quite effortless and quite slow and almost suspended in time. And because it looks so effortless, when you kind of do it, it almost feels like a statement, as in, like, I am the greatest yeah. of all time, I'm just nailed oh, to yeah, 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 absolutely. So to then hmm. do that with the sort of some of the attempts that we have seen in the last week or so in context where one you don't want to miss a penalty anyway but to attempt that kind of style in a context where it's just not mm. it's sort of a kind of really go hard or go home you really need to get the point here is just probably mm. not an advisable moment to attempt it in. on the lookman one i remember years ago danny murphy making the point that actually a really high pressure moment like a last minute going for a last minute win or equaliser is actually a really good time to take a Penenka because the mm. keeper invariably will want to make themselves a hero. You know, the adrenaline's oh, yeah, sure. pumping. They're like, I can save this. I can get us a team two points or a point. So they are more likely to fling themselves. So it actually makes sense to, but it but it seems like, Kate, it seems like a, a really risky time to do it. And also... I think you're right, Katie. The optics of it are obviously really bad if you do get it wrong because it does betray a certain nonchalance and arrogance. But that sh- it shouldn't be like that because no, if, you, I, if, I, if you want to go down the route of saying it is a viable penalty technique, then you can't kind of retrospectively say, "Why well, well, no. shouldn't have done it?" That but but pundits do do it. So um, well, exactly like yeah. like Danny Murphy, who having made that really good point, I thought was one of the people criticising them because if you do get it wrong, yeah. it's kind of like playing out from the back. It's like mm. you know, it's a really viable technique. Teams do it because it's a more effective way of attacking. They don't do it to be clever. But obviously, if it goes wrong, then it's like, well, why are you being so complacent? Why aren't you just getting rid? Yeah. Um, so it's, we yeah. kind of do want to have it both ways, I think. My beef with it is it's not from a psychological kind of flamboyance perspective. I, I, I just purely think if you're going to take a penalty, regardless of the almost regardless of the context, you, you could be 6-0 up or something, you should be taking the most statistically unsavable penalty. I said this on the Totally Show earlier this week where I just thought, you know... That, um, you might as well just hit the most unsavable penalty in 2020 because it's all about marginal gains and that sort of thing. I don't know. I mean, to go back to what Charlie was saying about Danny Mills, I thought it was interesting because he was on TalkSpot earlier this week who kind of almost mm. backtracked on that and said about Luckman, oh, why don't you just hit it really hard down the middle and in that kind of stoppage time and he wouldn't have had a chance of saving it, etc., etc. And I mm. think sometimes... It's like when Pep Guardiola came out years ago and said, oh, I don't coach tackles. And everyone was like, oh, sorry, Pep. <laughs> and I think sometimes the real distrust of... It's weird because we sort of have this distrust of pragmatic managers and we're like, oh, I can't believe that's that's a very ugly way to win. But then at the same time, we sort mm. of venerate them. And I think it's exactly the same thing that there are moments when we're really infatuated with yeah. these, like playing out from the back or Penenkas or whatever it yeah. is. And then other moments when we're like, no, that's not the way to go type thing. So I think it just very much depends on... I think you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you do, but basically if you score it, you're fine. I was going to say, the original Penenka was to win a Euros final shootout, wasn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it was taken at the most pressure moment. So, you know, it's, it's not a showboating thing. 
admittedly it didn't exist at the time so it's probably a really really good time to try it when no one else has actually <laughs> yeah. done it in a, in a high profile game I mean I, I also think it kind of taps into um, a football fan's paranoia a football fan as much as they can you know, Yuri Geller style, they want to be in control of what they're seeing. And if someone is trying something that is beyond that person's comprehension, comprehension. then it yeah. makes them feel insecure about it. So I get that. That's absolutely fine. But I, um, on, a, on a side point to this, uh, especially when it came to Adamola Lukman's attempt for Fulham, I don't think it even qualified as a Penenka, even even in his intent, let alone its, its execution. So... Uh, um, handily, we had Ben Littleton, author of 12 Yards, The Art and Psychology of the Perfect Penalty, dropped into my uh, Twitter mentions to clarify exactly what qualifies as a Penenka, because I think this is important. Um, he, he gave it to me in bullet points, which is really good, <laughs> Katie. Um, first of all, trajectory. The ball must be dropping as it crosses the goal line. So none of this sort of dribbling it, um, dropping it just before the line and letting it bounce in. That doesn't count. As far as the height goes, it needs to be. it needs to reach at least chest height of the kicker. No grass cutters. So again, these, these kind of nouveau Penenkas don't count. Mm. Speed-wise, slower the better. So ideally the ball no faster than the player's run-up. So, you know, the slower the more impudent, I guess, is the point he's making here, which all all ties in with a kind of flamboyance of it. And then uh, lastly, as a little flourish, he says the net. It should be hitting the bottom of the goal net or ideally hitting the ground just before the net. Um, so some some detail here into what counts as a Penenka. So I don't think Lookman counts as a Penenka at all, does it? I mean, that I always think of that Hart Pirlo one because that genuinely, I think, changed yeah. people's perceptions of Hart. I mean, I don't know if it was <laughs> <laughs> genuinely like if you look at his career, it's kind of pre-Penenka and post-Penenka. <laughs> I mean, he really was, is. He was kind of the Lionheart vocal hero, and then he became seemingly this kind of gurning, shouty, couldn't play out from the back, mm. um, slight buffoon in some people's eyes which I think was harsh and I think Guardiola obviously fed into that but it was a moment wasn't it and, it, and England were ahead in the shootout I think at the time and that just completely changed the mood it was Pelo was basically saying like I never as a penalty said I got this more than yeah. more than that one well to pick up on a point you you, you said a, a minute ago when you when you you know when you take a pressure penalty and a, and a goalkeeper is likely to want to kind of make themselves a hero I can't think of a more penenkerable no, goalkeeper than definitely. Joe Hart at that very moment he was he was leaping around his line like a madman trying to put Pirlo off mm. of all people <laughs> so he, he was you know very much asking for it um, in other in other kind of penalty culture mistrust issues I think I feel like <laughs> run-ups um, Katie kind of irritate people. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a Goldilocks situation here. You can either take too short a run-up and that makes people too nervous, or you can take too long a run-up and people think that means you're going to balloon it over the bar. Um, talk me through it. What's an ideal run-up? Where should you be standing to start your penalty? I can't. I, I, did, I did sort of worry that this would happen, that not everybody kind of analyses the game as forensically as Adam <laughs> does. Yeah, this undermines the entire <laughs> podcast every single bloody week, yes. Hello. I'm Ian McIntosh, and despite literally spending months of my life playing football manager, I'm still terrible at it. That's why I'm launching The Football Manager Show, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Every week, I'll speak to the people who know the game best, the people who make the game. We'll take a proper look at things like training, recruitment and tactics. We'll try to answer your questions. We'll do everything we can to keep you eager to play just one more game and altogether less inclined to quit without saving. The era of Cherno and Tonton and dear sweet Michael Duff is over. The new football manager is bigger, better, more challenging than ever. And I need some help. If you do too, you can subscribe now. Just look for the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, wherever you get all your other podcasts. It starts in November, and knowing my track record, I'll be unemployed by December. December. 
I'll tell you what, Charlie, I'll tell you what the run-up we don't see anymore. Um, and the only player I can think of who used to do it was Mickey Quinn, where he used to put the ball down, walk back and face the referee. And then when he heard the whistle, he'd turn instantly back and then and then take it. Um, which Paul Merson did that as, a couple of times as well. Yeah, so it strikes me as fraught with danger because you could turn around and the keeper would be standing at the side <laughs> or something. Oh, shit, what am I going to do? Um, but you, just don't, you also, don't see that anymore. I want to no. bring that back. It gave way. I remember in Euro 96, I think it was in the Spain-England uh, quarter-final shootout. I think it was a more. He did a kind of stuttery dummy run-up. And there was a bit of like, no one had ever seen that in this country. And yeah. it was kind of like, is that allowed? Has he just dummied him? And then that has that's become a whole subgenre, hasn't it? The yeah. kind of stuttering. stuttering Obviously, then run. Pogba who was unpopular enough as it was with the proper football men as if to just hammer <laughs> home that status. I wonder if he did it deliberately. Did that re- that like ridiculously drawn out sort of stuttery run up which worked a bit but also didn't. And again, if you're going to miss, you don't really you know doing a stuttery run up which again, I'm sure he thought was just an effective way of taking a penalty, but it uh yeah, didn't yeah. go down very well. I I, genu- I, I genuinely f- I feel bad. I feel genuinely gammon for not liking penalties like that it's, it's just i know i'm just i am properly pragmatic about it i just think yeah just belt it son like uh like gareth southgate's mum said back in 1996 <laughs> I, i'm fully subscribed to this um other niche penalty interest katie it's going to get even more niche from here trust me um i always enjoy i mean i've never really understood why this happens and why it should be allowed to happen but um teammates fighting over who te- takes a penalty mm. Um, why? Why I particularly like about this is it, 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 it's like they summon their inner toddler. Yeah, definitely. Because they they fight over the ball just like a child fights over a toy, and I really love it. We're talking about highly paid adults literally wrestling the ball from each other. It's great, isn't it? With that in mind, what I did like with uh, Stu James's golden uh, bo- uh, golden boot piece, if if people are still yet to read this was the line that he was he did a sort of breakdown of who takes penalties for who and who's taken the yeah. most and everything and the line about how man city operate like an under tens team where everybody gets to have a go <laughs> which i just which i just thought was a brilliant line but yeah it is i think it just seems to me it's very one of those moments when you see it and everyone kind of tuts and looks on it with real distaste and i think particularly as a bradford fan i don't know if people remember when we were at the League Cup final in 2013 and three or four yes. nil down to Swansea and Kieran Dyer and Meech you started fighting over who was going to take the penalty to get the hat trick and everyone was like come on lads you can back off now type thing so I do think it's certainly I mean it just it's a massive you can totally understand why they do it because as Stu's mm. piece was saying that um, penalties have such a massive swing in the golden boot race now and if you are there was the anecdote about Van Nusselrooy checking the first thing he did when he got on the coach was check if Henri had scored and if he had he would be sulking all the way at home because he was just so determined to beat him so you can actually see why players are sort of fighting over to do it but I do think there are certain situations when you do think as you say is just like toddlers fighting over a ball and you think oh be a bit have a bit of a maturity here guys type thing. Charlie I mean as, as childish as it is to be wrestling over the ball I'm, I start to think there must be a technique to, to keeping the ball for yourself like you should be putting your full body weight like lying on the ball they can't get it then <laughs> Get yourself in between well, like ball the and uh, ball boy type <laughs> thing. <laughs> but it's interesting. Oh, yeah, okay, so point. you mentioned um, Van Nistelrooy because Henri at that time was part of an Arsenal team where they had a rule where if you got fouled, you didn't take the penalty. Oh yeah, I hate so this. they were 
So there were quite a few where Henri could have scored uh, a number of more goals than he did, but he had been because obviously he he won quite a lot of penalties, which was a bit of a quirk. Yeah. But yeah, you're I mean you're right about as well the um, it is funny penalties we talked about already the taking of them the run ups, but also yes that arguing over it. I remember in 2015 it was Baines and Morales for Everton, and Baines was yeah. obviously a great penalty taker, and Morales. I don't really know why. It wasn't like he was on a penalty or something. He just had this surge of like, no, no, I, I really want to take this. I really back myself. And then someone steps, in as a, someone steps in as a, like a peacemaker and says, look, yeah. this, this is absurd. Yeah, and he took it and missed it. And Gary Neville, I remember oh, at time was calling it, you know, one of the worst things you can do. Uh, you know, it's really against yeah. the honour code of football. Our listeners have contributed some of their, their penalty miss sob stories. Enola John says, at school, I played against Charlie Sheringham. I tried to psych him out uh, while I was in goal. I gave him the eyes, told him I hope he takes penalties better than his dad, who had missed a couple for United. I went back to my line and he smashed it into the top corner. Um, Charlie, Charlie, so I hope um, Charlie Sheringham just celebrated in that goalkeeper's face. Um, He he, he hasn't expanded on that, but I really hope that happened. Um, Ben Jay says, sorry. No, I was going to say, we, we once played against that same school, against Charlie Sheringham. I think, though, he was oh. the year below us, so we didn't get to mm. but we did. But Teddy was there to watch him. We were all very excited, as you can imagine, and went mm. you know, to say hi, Teddy. And he uh, was not that fussed about us, uh, it's fair to say. I think he, he didn't want to be bothered. Was it like when he met Glenn Hobble? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you used similar words to describe me. We've got to cover that one week, actually. Um, Katie, Ben James writes in and says, in a recent Sunday league game, I tried to put their penalty taker off by scuffing up the penalty spot. I only realised afterwards that I scuffed up the wrong side, so his standing fo- foot was unaffected, and he sti- but he did still miss. <laughs> uh, a roller coaster story, but um, where do you stand on scuffing up the penalty spot? That is, that's just step that's too pathetic behaviour, isn't it? Step too far. This episode was already... Um, treading a moral yeah, tightrope. We're, so we're getting we, quite close. I'm glad we all agree. Line, yeah. Glad we all agree that scuffing the penalty spot in is an absolute disgrace. Yeah, this episode was meandering towards this inevitability anyway, Katie. But surely the greatest penalty-related spectacle of all is when a goalkeeper mm. takes a penalty. Definitely, yeah. and I was really surprised actually because the per- first instance of that that popped into my head was one that I don't think got mentioned in the thread, or at least wasn't mentioned when I had a look at it this morning, but Steve Simonson mm. in the playoff final, the League One playoff final. No, loads of people mentioned yeah. this. Oh, did they? I didn't yeah, know that I noticed yeah, that. Yeah. The first, I only read the first few of them. Um, Talk me through this, because yeah. it's it's a, it's a, like a mini soap opera. Yeah, I mean, it, this was the stage in their life where Sheffield United were trying everything in, to get out of League One and were in the playoffs or thereabouts mm. every single year and just couldn't do it. for It felt like forever. Um, and and that, that sort of stage of their existence and then it was in the playoff final it felt like every man and his dog was getting up to take a penalty and it was sudden death and the two goalkeepers took their penalties and Steve Simonson who was the Sheffield United goalkeeper blazed his blazed over the bar that's a football cliche for you miles over the bar and it was just one of those moments where you were yeah it's kind of the well, you have the Dean Windus playoff final and playoff finals named after players and I think that's the Steve Simonson playoff final Mm. unfortunately his his reaction when he missed it oh I've, I I think that's the most crestfallen I've ever yeah. seen a footballer because he goes it, it, the ball's over the bar then he's down on his knees and then down on his chest and then and then the face goes into the turf the hallowed Wembley turf <laughs> and I just think that that is that is the most gutted I think I've ever seen a footballer on a pitch um but before we carry on talking about goalkeepers and penalties, um, my, my entire life has essentially been leading up to this moment where I have my own podcast and I get to play the Kevin Pressman penalty for Sheffield Wednesday against Wolves in 1995. Pressman against Jones. Oh, oh, oh. Get in. And you won't get a better penalty than that, the penalty shootout. You could have two goalkeepers in there, they would have triple eight saving that. 
two things about that penalty, Charlie, that I that I will take to my grave as one of the greatest things that I've ever experienced, which is one, this, the sound of the ball against the stanchion. Uh, Martin Tyler simply saying, get in. <laughs> um, it's the greatest penalty of all time, isn't it? Let's let's face it. All things considered. It's, it's right up there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think um, that, and I'm sure others will come on to, we're all... For me growing up, there'd, there'd normally be a section on whatever Danny Baker video I was watching and then Nick Hancock where you'd have a kind of goalkeepers with penalties. And, and that was obviously, that was prominent. I mean, he does, it's amazing because he, he kind of takes it as if he's taking a goal kick, <laughs> sort of like smashing it out. And and I do think that like, it's not a surprise sometimes that goalkeepers are really good penalty takers because like, well, they should have really good dead ball um, mm. sort of distribution Absolutely. and confidence. And he just looked absolutely like a man who has spent his career smashing <laughs> balls out from, you know, smashing dead balls. Absolutely nails it. One of the things that bothered me most and that I didn't see mentioned in the YouTube comments, and as someone who is very unacquainted with 90s goalkeeper kits, because I was born at the end of the 90s, <laughs> and is very staggered by how weird and wacky they were, is that the, there's lettering on the shirt. There's like yeah, a the yellow le- barrier. A yellow square behind rectangle behind that, the lettering so that we can read it. Sheffield Wednesday's lettering across the board that season, I just find really weird. They're outfielders as Don't well. Don't ruin episode fun. 45, Charlie, which we talk about Sheffield Wednesday's lettering from the 1994-95 season. Yeah, this is, you know, down beneath the weeds. But yeah, it was it's really... Because it, was, it was quite cool, actually, at that time. Because it was... I think 93-94 was the first season of... Uh, having player names on the back so te- and it wasn't really standardised so teams were doing lots of like weird and wacky things with their fonts and then you had Sheffield Wednesday as you say Katie in this kind of like Scrabble style block uh, <laughs> where the letters sat wonderful times <laughs> yes um, not, not a tangent I expected to go down today but uh, many more await if we're going to talk about penalties we have to talk about penalty shootouts which are a, essentially a perfect a perfect art. There's nothing that needs to be changed about penalty shootouts. They've tried, Katie. They've they tried introducing the ABBA system, which I have completely forgotten about, this little trial that they brought up. And it, and it was just like, people just didn't like it. It was like, what? They're taking one again? Not for me. So we asked we asked our, our listeners about the, the, the hallmarks of a classic penalty shootout. And so we'll, we'll go through a few of them here. Tom Barnaby and several others straight in here was, there's nothing worse as a neutral than when you've sat through 119 minutes and then some joker pops up with a scruffy winner to deny you the joy of penalty. I was literally going to... Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> This is it. it. So, Katie, at the end, as a neutral, at the end of a, a cagey, absorbing 190 minutes, you deserve penalties. That's the treat, isn't it? I think so. And I also think it's the redemption and the reward if you sit through a very taut, turgid 120 minutes. I think, like, the playoff final, was it Reading and Huddersfield a few years ago that was just the most yeah. turgid playoff final we'd ever seen to get Huddersfield in the Premier League? And I do feel like those moments you really do need that that theatre and the almost emphatic moment of the last the, the penalty that actually does win it just to sort of make everything worthwhile that you've just sat through. Charlie, I don't I don't know if this this opinion still prevails in, in twenty twenty, but I, I remember it quite a lot growing up. It's just this this idea that penalties were a kind of not an ideal way of settling a football match, as if it was kind of an unromantic way of settling a football match. It's complete bollocks, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's kicking a ball into a goal. I mean, how much more of a suitable way of settling a football match could there be? I remember after that Euro 96 semi-final uh, that England lost at primary school, <laughs> us discussing alternatives. And they ranged from things like 
could you do it so that each team loses a player every five minutes and oh, you just go on until like next goal wins so you that know would you just have be like so shit that would four, just be, it would be funny but can you imagine but, so it's like 4v3 on that massive Wembley pitch and others were like could you do it on who won more corners or things like that as, as, as you say as if penalty shoes that wasn't just like an amazing really fair way and obviously then the the sort of cousin of that and it's still pervasive is the you can't possibly prepare for them and describing them as a lottery um mm. which is interesting i mean obviously again in 2020 when we're so um kind of data driven and and clearly practicing with stuff helps you know especially in sport but it's interesting talking to former players i, I don't know if you guys have found this but like they do a lot of them do say that there is a degree to which you can't recreate it. Um, so that that school of thought does kind of live on. And I'm, and obviously, that's not to say you shouldn't um, practice them because clearly, um, you know, honing your technique will help. But it, yeah, it is interesting that they do um, that. They are ha- there is a real um, reverence, I think, for for the and mystique for a penalty shootout. Like it, it mm. is. A pressure, and I mean that you know we all took that that walk from the halfway line. I mean, God, what that must be like in a, a big major tournament game. Yeah, I, I mean, mm. where do you stand on the whole bringing a player on just to take a penalty in, in the kind of final few minutes of added time? Perfectly good practice, as far as I'm concerned. It, it reminds me of um, uh, the great British hockey team back in the 90s who literally had a guy that could only do one thing really well. I can't remember his name. It's on the tip of my tongue. Basically, he was really good at corners or something like that. He was really good at penalty corners. They used to bring him on for, for that and then take him off straight afterwards, which is, which is a little bit cynical. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I'm all for it because if you've got that weapon, then, you, then you've got to use it. Didn't Holland bring on, was it Tim Krul? They brought on specifically for a shootout in the World Cup quarterfinal. Yeah, I mean, Actually, this is a good point, though, because how, Charlie, how would you feel as the goalkeeper coming off? It's not good for the ego, is it? No, I mean, I think for the goalkeeper coming off, it's really annoying because you can only really be a hero as a keeper in a shootout. I think if you were, but the converse of that, you know, if you were a kind of defensive midfielder who wasn't going to be taking a penalty, I think you'd probably accept a striker coming on and be a little bit relieved, maybe, that you weren't going to have to take like a tenth and potentially fatal penalty. Another little mini phenomenon of penalty shootouts, James Fenton writes in, Katie, and says uh, he always enjoys the approximately 5.7 seconds that keepers have to celebrate by themselves as teammates sprint towards (laughs) them for the pylon. Um, I mean, he's right, because I remember this several times. It's like the camera will always have close in on the goalkeeper celebrating and he seems to be there for ages yeah. ages with his arms out and you just think surely I mean I guess the more important the game the faster they run yeah. so if, if you're talking say charity shield community shield it's a light jog World Cup final you're straight there I mean do you ever see I don't think I've ever seen the keeper run to meet the teammates the keeper sort of mm. stands there and beckons them towards him which is quite thinking about it a bit of a weird well... thing I mean, of, of course, there is Nicky Weaver in the 1999 uh, Division Two playoff final, who, once he'd saved the decisive penalty, then ran round the perimeter <laughs> of the Wembley pitch and um, and essentially challenged his teammates to try and catch him. So it was like the gauntlet on Gladiators, and he was just running through them. And he got he got very very far. And uh, I, I'm I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I'm massively keen on goalkeepers doing that. I feel like goalkeepers should stand there and accept their teammates. That's the textbook way of doing it, and it served us well. So there's nothing wrong with that the the final um, mini phenomenon i want to share katie about uh, things i like about penalties is um some as this is this is in penalty shootouts specifically sometimes players footballing brains just take over so when a goalkeeper saves it they kind of semi instinctively go for the yeah. rebound <laughs> 
which mm. I would really like. And and then invariably, if if and when they do go for it, even sort of instinctively or out of sheer frustration, they've missed the penalty. It very rarely goes yeah. in. Like th- that's bad. That's bad football. If you can't mm. score from a uncontested rebound from a penalty, you're fundamentally quite shit at football. I think. I think it's, I think it's weirder when they do score and then they hammer it in two or three times to sort of just drill home how how dominant <laughs> they are. This wouldn't be football cliches if we didn't attempt to assess the language of, of penalties. You're both accomplished football writers, and uh, whilst you've probably used this phrase in text, Charlie, have you ever actually said the, the phrase spot kick out loud? <laughs> I don't think I could say it, apart from in this ironic context. Spot, yeah, I'm trying to think how you, like... Oh, yeah, he's... God, he buried that spot kick, didn't he? <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just, that's just, never a spot kick, Rhett. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try that next time I play. Katie, is there a single fibre of your being that would allow you to say spot kick out loud? I just think I've never... The fact that I have never thought about if I've ever said it before probably says a lot, but no, I don't think I ever ever would. There are words that are reserved almost exclusively for penalties, Katie. Um, they're kind of business-like. You will see words like converted and dispatched, mm. which is now... The word dispatched is now, in my eyes, level pegging with Amazon Yeah. Um, for, for kind of primacy in its usage. I'm surprised Amazon actually haven't kind of trademarked it yet, but it, to me, it, it, it strikes me as just a very tidily put away penalty. Yeah, definitely. It's coolly dispatched mm. into the bottom corner. That feels like a specific set of words that we used in conjunction with each other quite a fair bit. Funny that you say the word coolly. Charlie, I always enjoy... This is a very co-commentatory thing to say. This is like, yeah, cool as you like. <laughs> How about that? Cool as you like. Interesting phrase, cool as you like. Um, I've done my research here. I typed it into Google and uh, uh, the phrase, cool as you like, hit its kind of peak of popularity, first of all, uh, around the early 1930s. I don't know why. Maybe penalties were just really good um, <laughs> just be- just before the uh, Second World War. Little did they know that... Anyway, um, uh, and then then again in the sort of late, 19- late, late 1950s, don't know why. And then uh, then only, only around about the sort of mid-2000s did it finally hit its peak of popularity, the phrase cool as you like. So maybe again, penalties just got good. I guess it was, must have been around the time of Zidane's Penenka against Italy in 2006. Anyway, um, as we mentioned right at the start of the uh, of the episode, Katie is painfully young and just simply hasn't experienced some of these um, cultural footballing uh, touch points that us granddads have. I want, to, I, I want to introduce you really to the greatest penalty ever taken. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm just simply going to, I'm, I'm going to play you the, uh, the radio commentary and, and show you the video and I just think we should all just thoroughly enjoy it. On the football at the moment there's such a razzmatazz going on, it's such a spectacle, there's hundreds of school children and <laughs> high school children out there on the pitch, they've probably been rehearsing for six weeks at this and of course all we've been concentrating on is you know, can Germany justify the favouritism in the tournament, can Bolivia who've never even played Germany or indeed England before uh, do well in the first game of a World Cup competition with all the eyes of the world on it. Diana Ross has just taken a penalty kick towards the goal to our right and missed uh, a tribute <laughs> over. Almost collapsed. Ross takes her place on stage and you'll be back with us very soon. How, how do you feel? You've, you've watched Diana Ross's uh, penalty miss before the 1994 World Cup for the first time I, I can't imagine what it must be like to be you right now it's like watching a really good film for the first time that, that was just there were great portions of that that were just like flurries of colour and noise and marching bands and set and that, I don't know what that was I've just watched yeah the, the whole this whole scene is baffling it's, it's like some sort of fever dream but um, what I particularly like about that Charlie is David Pleats sort of commentating over it sort of really really seriously and then Alan Green just jumps in and says Diana Ross has taken a penalty <laughs> 
I know he's really trying to set the scene of the school children and the high school children. <laughs> so, it's so painfully Pleat. Everything about that is David Pleat. Um, uh, it's it's just a truly wonderful moment, and I'm really glad that we got to share it with you, Katie. Um, your life's never going to be the same again. I mean, I do I do worry coming on things like this being quite young. I do worry that you'll make a cultural reference that's just way beyond my remit. Um, so witnessing that for the first time was I'm glad that we have caught this moment on video and audio but we are going to end the episode in a, in a uh, traditional sense with the cliche quiz we haven't had one for a few weeks actually Katie uh, just to tell you how this works I've got three questions about the language of football to share with you particularly about penalties in fact and uh, I, I just basically whoever answers with the correct answer first wins the point we've got three to go uh, you're up against Ecclesheer, who's got a very good record here, if I remember rightly. I mean, I, I stopped updating the spreadsheet after about episode nine, so I don't actually know, but I'm fairly sure Ecclesheer has a winning record with uh, when it comes to the cliche quiz. So huge pressure on you, Katie. I can assure you none of these references are from the 1990s, so okay, you are, good. everything's going to be okay. Charlie, are you ready? Very much so. Question one, uh, a player is fouled and then takes the penalty himself. As football cliches dictates, what does he have to do between those two things? Dust himself down. What does he do before that? Pick himself up. Yes. Yes, Charlie, correct. Um, a player has to pick himself up and dust himself down before taking a penalty. Um, doesn't really work on modern Premier League pitches. They're all too lush. So I don't think there's hmm. any dust involved. One to ponder. <laughs> but anyway, Charlie leads 1-0. Wyatt, frozen with fear. But we go into question two. Can she redeem herself? Uh, a player takes a penalty and, it, and the ball goes underneath the goalkeeper as he dives on it or over it, but still goes in. So what has that ball done? Squirmed under Gone him. through him. Wyatt! Yes! 1-1! <laughs> one, one. That's squirming, Charlie. That is the dictionary definition of squirming. squirming. The ball just going underneath a diving goalkeeper in a penalty situation. Uh, Collins, Oxford Dictionary, if you're listening, that should be your definition from now on. Right, so wonderfully, we're down to sudden death in the cliche quiz. Question three. Ready? <laughs> yeah yeah exactly here so we go tense. oh god it's huge okay extra time beckons but what do penalties do loom they oh, do they loom well done Charlie the ecstasy on his face there 2-1 um, to Echo Share, but that, that was really up for grabs there wonderful stuff thanks thanks Katie Thanks for joining us. What a debut that was. Well, thank you. I hope it went up here. I don't know if I offered anything of value, but I enjoyed it all the same. That's all right. We'll edit out the terrible bits. Don't worry about <laughs> it. Charlie, thanks as always for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you. Um, yeah, so thanks everyone. We'll be back next week, hopefully with the difficult second instalment of Mesut Harland Dicks. Hope you enjoyed it. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>